What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and I'm here with Jeff. And um, I'm pretty sure, in fact, I know, I know for a fact that somebody is listening to us right now for the first time ever. And I just want to, first of all, welcome you to All the Above and just let you know that our episodes drop every two weeks. Every two weeks, we have a full packed All of the Above episode featuring guests and, and looks at different headlines in education. We have a segment where we shout out folks doing wonderful things in the world of education. And that's a whole production. That's a whole production. I mean, it's clearly available as a podcast, but it also goes up on our YouTube channel, dope videos, graphics and editing, if I don't say so myself. And um, and yeah, that's a whole production. In between those full episodes, we drop these passing periods. These passing periods are audio only for those of y'all listening to the podcast on your favorite podcast streaming app. And um, we take this time to talk about stories that maybe didn't make it in our most recent full episode. And Jeff, Mr. Super Principal Man, how you doing, man? What's good this week? <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, do I get like a cape and a, you know, um, a- able to uh, juggle operational responsibilities and yes. instructional leadership in a, in a single bound? Is I that- love that. <laughs> a cape with like the All of the Above logo on it. I love it. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, I, w- I will say, Manuel, um, I have fallen off my watching of this show, but uh, Black Lightning um, which, when I first saw the commercials, I was like, this show looks mad cheesy. I'm not watching it. And then uh, a colleague of mine told me it's this dude who's a principal <laughs> of a school, and his name is Jeff. And I was like, wow, okay, I need That's to watch you, this man. show. So, yeah, I watched, like, the first season, and then I, I kind of fell off. But, um, you know, maybe I, I go back and binge. Um, yeah, man, well, great to be here with you today, as always. And... Um, it is. This has been a big week in a bunch of ways because for some folks here in California and elsewhere, it is the end of the school year. Uh, for other folks, you know, you still got a week or more to go. Um, and also, this week marked the one-year, um, you know, uh, anniversary of the just utterly uh, outrageous murder of George Floyd. Um, that sparked, you know, a year of national um, national unrest and uh, calls for change. And also this week um, was an article published that is going to be our, uh, you know, sort of catalyst for today's conversation, which uh, which came to us by uh, Christopher Matthias uh, from Huffington Post. Um, and uh, shout out to him because this story is wild and I think brings up a really interesting issue um, that we're going to dig into. So the the article, we'll put the link to it in the notes. You guys got to check it out because it's bananas, okay? Um, It's titled, An Elementary School Teacher's Secret Life as a White Nationalist Writer. Benjamin Welton uses pen names to write racist articles. He's also a teacher, PhD student at Boston University, and freelance writer for major media outlets. Now he's been exposed. So um, this story is crazy. Uh, I'm sorry, you said elementary school teacher? Elementary school teacher teaching the babies, man. Well, I think it, I think it's third grade that he was teaching until they recently fired him, or at least he's no, he appears to no longer be employed at this school in the somewhere in the Boston area, uh, in Massachusetts. And um, yeah, I mean, so here's the deal. Uh, he has used 
numerous pseudonyms to write online. Uh, pseudonyms like Sinclair Jenkins. Um, and uh, he wrote a piece recently talking about being, uh, you know, going from wide-eyed liberal to race realists. Uh, he writes all kinds of just like directly inflammatory white supremacist content, fascist content. He's previously served in the United States Navy as a Navy uh, military police officer um, and uh, became increasingly radicalized uh, listening to reading the writing of, you know, folks like Ann Coulter um, and other, you know, far right wing media here in the United States. Um, and holds a, you know, firmly held belief in the biological foundations of race, right? Which, of course, we know to be ridiculous. Um, and uh, after some extensive investigation, um, Huffington Post confirmed uh, that this guy, Benjamin Welton, um, is the author of all these pieces um, and has indeed been working as an um, English social studies and computer science teacher at Star Academy, an elementary school in Massachusetts, um, or at least was there. Um, so this is fascinating, Manuel, on so many levels, because on the one hand, uh, it's, a, it's a powerful story of how white supremacists and white nationalists are infiltrating um, many aspects of the state, right? We know we have seen all kinds of examples of this with like police, uh, you know, uh, military, right? I mean, that you even have like the Oath Keepers, <laughs> right? They got an alumni club, okay, of white supremacists who used to be in those organizations, um, judges, right? Um, prison guards, all kind of stuff. Uh, but they are also, um, sadly, uh, infiltrating education. Um, education in the K-12 system and in higher ed with the express purpose of trying to um, sort of co-opt the, the minds of young people um, and, and grow their ranks. And um, this, is, uh, this is an issue I think we've talked about a little bit before, right, of like, what do we do about white supremacists in, uh, in education? And what do we do about white supremacy in education and how do we root them and it out? While at the same time, Dr. Manuel Rustin, my co-host here, is uh, probably right this second receiving a hateful email uh, from someone about being a um, uh, Marxist, liberal, leftist, radical, critical race theory propagator of the destruction of the minds of the students of California by, uh, you know, his work on the ethnic studies model curriculum and overseeing the uh, development of the new math frameworks for the state of California. So um, at the same time as we're seeing this, you know, this uh, repression of ideas with the, with the, you know, the sort of weird misnomer of critical race theory um, as some kind of boogeyman, we're also seeing the white supremacists actually infiltrate our schools, <laughs> okay? So how do we deal with this, Manuel, in a context where um, some very scary things are happening from the right on repression of ideas at the same time as they are coming in with ideas that actually need to be exercise from our system. So how, how do we do this, man? Well, 
Yeah, first I'll say that's a very accurate read of my email inbox right there, Jeff. <laughs> uh, that is pretty much that is pretty much what I hear. And um, secondly, I'll say, is this a, or I will pose the question, is this an infiltration if they were already here since the beginning? Because mm. probably, mm. probably they've been there since the beginning, just in different forms or using different tools and media outlets to get their uh, racist narratives out there. Yeah, this is, um, you know, for folks who haven't come across this article, and again, it's linked right below this episode, you definitely got to get into the details of this because we're not talking about somebody who has the sort of general and already very like widespread Fox News talking points. We're talking like even a level beyond that. I mean, this 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 guy here, as recently as March 31st, wrote something along the lines of, and I, I quote, from the story, um, no mercy for our enemies. Do not weep, for they are not human. Those who want to abolish whiteness, they deserve medieval punishments. Like this is uh, this is deep into the white racist, uh, fascist, like cesspool, like deep into it. And it's really, I guess, I mean, it's obviously troubling that somebody who has these ideas would have command of a elementary school classroom or any classroom um, for that matter. So I'm very pleased to see that the school, as soon as it sounds like as soon as the school found out who he was, they they um, fired him or got rid of him or did whatever they could do to get him up out the classroom. So that's that's great. But I definitely am concerned just as a profession about the question, what do we do about this? Because for one, it's not going anywhere. Um, this is a person who Based on the the story that we have here, based on the research done by this group that I had never heard about before, but sounds like a very awesome group, this uh, group of anti-fascist researchers uh, called the Anonymous Comrades Collective, who basically s- sweep through the internet and try to expose folks who are, like him who are um, espousing these very dangerous and violent beliefs and living double lives. But yeah, like, how do we address this as a profession, I think, is a very important question here because this sounds like somebody who, according to the story, developed these views over time, became radicalized, if you will. And certainly there are a lot of other people out there being radicalized through stuff that they they are, are reading and, and discussing online. He himself wrote in one of his posts, I quote, I used to be suicidal, a veritable incel, an ex stabbed me. My mom died. Life sucked until I found this mob. Now in my 30s, I'm writing novels, nonfiction books, and training for the Foreign Legion. We're all going to reach glory, end quote. So it sounds like somebody who's had a pretty you know, rough run of, of his you know, teens and 20s and has found fellowship among this you know, community of racists online and became radicalized in that kind of way. And it's like, well, what? There's so many so many disturbing parts about this. One is the radicalization. The other is the fact that he's, you know, obviously working in the classroom with little kids. And the third is that like our profession is probably full of folks like this, not because of the nature of our profession, but I just think most professions like nationally have folks like this within them. And I'm not somebody who subscribes to that whole like bad apples theory of policing. I think policing's problems aren't about a few bad apples. I think it's, you know, cultural and it's endemic. Um, But certainly every profession has quote unquote bad apples within it. And ours is no different. Our teaching profession is no different. And the question is like, how do we identify folks like this, especially since he went through such great lengths to hide his identity? And how do we take action against this in such a way that we don't 
also invites uh, mechanisms within our system that that police like other views. You know, there's plenty of folks who probably see this as like a both sides type of thing. Like, oh, so what if he has his political views about um, about white supremacy? You have other teachers who have their own personal political views about whatever. And it's just like, you know, as long as they keep it out the classroom, that's on them. So how do we really address this in such a way that like, no, actually these really violent dehumanizing views aren't at all within reach of our students in the classroom and also make sure that that mechanism, that whatever mechanisms we could do to, to address that don't have the unintended consequence of shutting down, you know, all, all other kinds of speech from teachers who are advocating for um, more just and, and humanizing systems. So it's, it's definitely really troubling. This dude is, is complete trash. And honestly, I, I really see one of the themes I see in this is this idea of somebody who like is facing or has faced some trauma, some challenges in life and needed community. And unfortunately the community that they um, found themselves identifying with was a, a very hateful, violent community. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's troubling because there's a lot of folks out there that are searching for community and you have these, these very crazy spaces online that are so easy to uh, come across and to uh, fall into and go down that that rabbit hole, so to speak, that we hear um, talked about more and more often. So yeah, Jeff, man, I don't I don't know as a profession how we address this in a way that like really addresses this problem and keeps folks like this outside the classroom without also opening the door to like you know parents and community and other folks wanting to go after those you know quote unquote liberal Marxist teachers um, since they, you know, since we're going after these these white racists, what about these liberal uh, Marxist folks over here, you know? So it's just a dangerous game. I, I don't know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. It's an extremely dangerous game because in the, in the same way that some of the calls for like, oh, we have to expand the police state to deal with um, you know, with like the, the type of white supremacist manifestations from January 6th, right? Um, in the same way that the, the problem with that approach is that the police state in this country has never, ever, nor do I personally believe it ever will, clap back at the extreme right-wing folks, right? Like partially because they identify with them, <laughs> which is why they allowed them to do what they did on January 6th, but also because the just the nature of policing as an entity, you know, doesn't uh, ascribe to the type of to, to wanting to challenge the type of threat that right wing extremists pose. Right. Um, and we have a long history of repression of folks on the left, organizing on the left. Right. Movements for racial justice, movements for environmental justice, movements for feminism, for LGBT rights. Right. Et cetera. Um, you know, that has always been met with uh, resistance from the kind of, from the state, right? And I think we are in this, a bit of this catch-22 in education where like partially what we need is some different action from the state to prevent and weed out these folks who are seeking to do like really unethical things in education, right? Like teach white supremacist, white nationalist views is a, is a, a deeply unethical thing to do. Um, and at the same time, um, if we build some kind of robust police state of, about ideas in public education, I have no confidence that what's actually, you know, uh, 
going to happen is that the escalation of the sort of war on the 1619 Project, the war on critical race theory that we're seeing right now is going to be the casualty in, in a, you know, under a regime of policing ideas, right? And so I, I wonder, Manuel, I wouldn't say I've like, you know, thoroughly researched the, the subject or anything, but I wonder about an approach for us that, um, that combines a few things. One, some real pressure on states and on districts to shift what we consider effective practice in our evaluation systems to be, to include some kind of lens on like equitable, uh, on equity, right? On like, how are you meeting the needs of students who are most marginalized in your context, right? And in as much as your content knowledge is, is deeply important, your you know, ability to like successfully manage a classroom is very important, your ability to juggle all the responsibility, you know, phone calls to parents and grading and other things is, you know, all these things are in all the evaluation systems, right? Um, and I'm not saying they shouldn't be, but also when you're an educator working in communities like we serve, um, and frankly, any community, uh, to be honest, but especially in communities like we serve, you also need to be someone who is able to practice in a way that is empowering, identity affirming, liberatory to your students and the community. And if you can't, that needs to be considered in terms of like, can you be an effective practitioner in this context? So I do think there's like an actual HR function where like this has to has to live. And I honestly, Manuel, feel like this is one of those moments where as educators, we have to kind of grab the mantle. Right. And say, like, when we are collectively bargaining, when we are informing, um, you know, state uh, teaching standards and these kind of things, we have to move the needle on um, on like holding ourselves as professionals collectively accountable, administrators, teachers, district officials, counselors, every credentialed staff member, right? Um, and, and I think our unions are actually a place where this should, like this pitch should come from. Will it? I, you know, I don't know. Um, but I think educate, I think we need an educator professional association that says, nah, we will not, like it is unethical to hold these beliefs and operate on them as a practitioner in this field. And if you do, we are going to not allow you to hold the, the same level of esteem uh, professionally that, that uh, the rest of us do, right? Um, right. And I think, I think that's like a function we're gonna have to build in order to do this, because I don't think the answer is like, we need thought police from the state. Um, cause that, cause that will, they'll be coming for us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and saying like, look at, look at Manuel and Jeff, uh, saying bad things about the secretary of education, you know, that <laughs> they, they should lose their credential. Right. Um, so I, I think we actually need an educator association to be the uh, the standard bearer for ethical practice on on this kind of stuff, man, because we can't allow these people to just continue to practice, and and this guy, you know, um, is such a horrible example, right? But um, he's not. He is. 
And he's not an outlier, though. I exactly. think we should also point out, like, there's, you know, the article also mentioned other educators who have similarly been found out, so to speak, um, to have this, like, hidden alter ego online or in podcasts. There's the teacher from, I think she was from Florida, Diana uh, Volatich, who had a... Yep. Um, uh, white supremacist, white nationalist podcast that she was exposed over for like you know a, a year or two ago. So yeah, Jeff, he he is a a, a horrible horrible um, example, but he's not like an outlier in that sense. He's an outlier in the sense that he got exposed. But who knows how many other teachers are also living these very hateful um, lives online under you know fake names and and all that. Yeah, and they're just nicer cousins if you will right like yeah the folks who are like oh i'm not a white supremacist you know in in ibram kennedy's words the folks who are squarely not racist right yeah <laughs> so they're not out there proudly touting white nationalism but they are the ones who who might be the the, the real folks beating the drum of like these kids can't do it but these kids don't value education these kids you know whatever and yeah. uh and and in like really just racist ways, right? Like upkeeping the the white supremacist parts of our system of education. And, um, you know, I, I think there's, we have the ability to do better than we are doing now. Um, I think it's going to be hard to make it work in a way that doesn't uh, squash discourse and squash debate and, and get weaponized against progressive and, and lefty you know, ideas about racial equity. But um, I think we need to try because yeah. we got, you know, freaking white nationalists, it, like for real, infiltrating schools, man, like yeah, poisoning yeah. the minds. No, for sure. And, yeah. um, you know, this story also points out a few educators who were, who have been fired after video service of them at the uh, January 6th uh, Capitol insurrection. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the insurrection is right, has members of all professions in it, and uh, education is not uh, exempt from that. We definitely have educators who are part of that insurrection is right and beyond even that. And he, this, you know, this educator here, this teacher here is a, a shiny example of, of the exact like worst type of person to have in front of students. I mean, uh, he also taught at the college level while he was doing his postgrad studies and his, um, his reviews on, you know, ratemyprofessor.com or, or whatever sites students use now. Um, it sounds like a lot of students on there were pointing out how, how problematic he was. One student wrote, quote, one of the, uh, he was one of the weirdest teachers I ever had. I'm convinced that the only positive comment found on this site was written by him himself. He is arrogant and his egocentrism makes him a threat to his students, uh, makes him treat his students merely as objects, especially us girls, uh, to enhance his pride. Another student wrote that karma is going to get him. So clearly he's problematic. Uh, I mean, it was it was clear even before he entered the elementary classroom that that dude himself was a problem. And a part of me wonders, Jeff, if he had. So I'm glad he's been exposed, you know, um, on on the internets. They call that doxing. And usually doxing has a um, uh, is considered a, a bad thing to do to expose somebody's um personal details, because oftentimes that's used to rally the troops against folks who are pushing for uh, progressive ideas and pushing for, you know, justice. And a lot of times, like, if that person gets doxxed, if their their address or phone number ends up online, then, you know, all the racist trolls go after them and, and there's all kinds of uh, bad things that happen. So usually doxing is considered uh, to be a bad thing. But in this case, I'm glad I'm 
obviously very, very glad that this person got doxxed and that we know who he is. And I'm wondering for his posts, if, if he was posting from his own name, his own identity, I'm wondering just because you brought up, you know, our profession and, and professional standards and, and, you know, the, the fact is in terms of teachers and protections for teachers through uh, MOUs and union, uh, union contracts and all that, you know, it is, it is difficult, generally speaking, to remove a teacher um, from the profession to like actually fire them, fire them. Um, of course, teachers have due process and I am very thankful for that. I'm definitely a union head. Um, but in, in this case, I'm wondering if his posts, if he was, I mean, he hid his name for a reason, right? Because I mean, he, he knew this stuff was not, was not uh, publicly acceptable. Um, but if he was out there just under his own name and his own own image and face. I wonder how long it would have taken to remove him from the classroom if he were, let's say he were a, ten, a tenured teacher in a major uh, school district. Because I'm pretty sure this stuff, I, I'm pretty sure he would have been able to be fired for these posts because they, they condone violence. Um, one post has a picture of a gun holster next to a book that basically um, advocates for like using force to uh, resist evil. In this case, evil being anything not white. So I'm pretty sure he would have been dealt with pretty swift, not maybe not swiftly, but I'm pretty sure um, even with all the protections that teachers have, I'm pretty sure it would not have been a problem to get rid of this guy, I think. But in any case, yes, we definitely as a profession need to obviously hold ourselves accountable. But like, honestly, Jeff, I don't know that, you know, if I worked with this dude, I probably would know from like hearing from students that dude's a little weird and uh, has some sort of problematic characteristics, but I wouldn't necessarily know that he had this identity online, that he was a white supremacist, um, and that he was like advocating for like violence against um, everybody who's not white. Like I wouldn't necessarily know that. So even the idea of like holding our profession accountable, it's kind of hard when folks are, are working in the margins and not in the margins, working in the darkness, really. And he actually published a set of rules to operate from. And one of his rules, rule number 13 was, uh, quote, operating in the darkness is preferable like he he's acknowledging that like this type of stuff is the secret type of stuff you don't let your co-workers know about so how do you hold folks accountable if this sort of uh white supremacist stuff is happening on the quote-unquote dark web i don't know i don't know yeah you know it, that's a tricky one right because i also uh, you know to the point of feeling like what we don't need is a thought police Right. Um, right. That, that, you know, there's lots of dystopian movies you can watch about <laughs> about how that's not a good look. And on the other hand, um, it's very difficult for me to believe, Manuel, that what was happening in this dude's classroom was responsible ethical teaching. Right. And, yeah. I, you know, I've, I'm looking at the website right now of Star Academy. OK. I don't think they have any, I shouldn't say this, but just from my quick glance through, there are very few, there's lots of pictures of nice little white kids um, and white, you know, founder and staff. Now, take that for what it's worth, but right. um, I will say, and it looks like Star Academy is a, uh, you know, is a independent school or private school of some sort. They charge tuition. So... Um, you know, there, there is, uh, I think, in, in the private context, they can kind of do what they want, of course, right? Um, in the public context, I do think that there's um, a, 
there's a high, high likelihood that someone who holds these views is writing about them, publishing about them, you know, seeking leadership within that community is going to have symptomatic behavior in their teaching, whether that's kicking yeah, kids out, I agree. whether that's complaints from students and parents. And I, th I think to me, that is where we need a better system that can hold folks accountable, right? Like if kids are consistently complaining that you're racist, right? Or you're giving out racist homework assignments or, you know, uh, espousing, you know, popping off inappropriately. Kids and families are saying these problematic things and, you know, in faculty meetings. I think, you know, it's funny, Manuel, because there's a line people often and, and you know, there's some there's some reality to this, right? That like teachers unions fight hard for their membership, right? As they should. But you know, when that teacher who's like molesting kids or whatever gets caught, the union is not out there like fighting for that person, right? Like those folks get like arrested and then like sent away and put on trial. And you notice the union is like, well, you know, probably shouldn't have been molesting the kids, you crazy person, right? So when motivated, we can do this, right? Um, even within our collective bargaining units to say, hey man, like this is, you've crossed a line that's absolutely unacceptable and we are not gonna defend you. We're gonna let the system yeah. hold you accountable. And I think that to me is where we need to go from a union perspective to, to say these people are unacceptable. You know, we're yeah. not going to protect them. Yeah, not, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And for, for folks listening, there are, you know, this person is probably at the, the more extreme side of the spectrum, but you get to that side by um, subscribing to such nonsense as like this idea of, of uh, some kind of woke ideology penetrating the, the schools and critical race theory being so dangerous and this and that. So all those folks out there, those grifters largely who are out there um, stirring up like mess around critical race theory and making it seem like that's all so bad, this and that, whatever. Like that is the path towards that like extreme side where you believe that somehow it's it's white folks who are under attack and white folks are being replaced. Like remember, we remember those scenes from the Charlottesville protests where they're protesting and chanting Jews will not replace us. Like that white replacement ideology, that racist idea that like as our country, as our nation, as our world becomes increasingly like globalized and diverse and all that stuff that like, you know, white culture somehow is being erased. Like that sort of stuff we hear all the time. And this person is on the extreme side of that operating in the shadows, but we have a lot of those really big platform folks who are, who are out there trying to launch these bills to shut down critical race theory and all these things that, that actually would help us interrogate racism and prevent extremism like this from uh, taking root in the first place. But in any case, folks, you know, the, the struggle continues, the fight continues, and we are all in this together here in the all of the above family. We know you're doing everything you can to create humanizing, liberating spaces for, for youngsters. And um, we just want to shout out everybody who's been a supporter of the show. We've been getting a lot of love online. Uh, some of y'all been posting pictures with some of our merch. We've Super, super appreciate that. We love y'all. Remember, it's just a two-person operation over here. It's just, it's just Jeff and I, and um, you know that's why our video episodes drop every two weeks because it takes a lot of work to do that. And we are full-time educators and with full-time lives. So, so yeah, these passing periods obviously just in between that because it's quicker turnaround for the audio-only stuff. So we love y'all. We very much appreciate y'all. We want you to have a very wonderful week. We will be back with you next week with a full episode featuring two 
two super dope guests to um, to explore more deeply translanguaging and our English language learners and bilingual education and sort of the the movement in education around making sure we're doing better for our students who are navigating multiple languages. So definitely you don't want to miss that. That is coming at you one week from today. And until then, I think it's time yeah. for you to go ahead and- uh, Wait, Manuel, but what, what, before, what, we, before we before, leave, before you issue the command, yeah. I just want to say, because what you said about the merch is no joke. We've had a, a, a flurry of folks getting those, um, those AOTA show hoodies, yeah. The t-shirts, we got some brand new, fresh t-shirts um, ripe for this moment uh, where, you know, they're they're going after Nicole Hannah-Jones. They're talking about critical race theory this and critical race theory that. And I just wanted to remind folks, Manuel, that if they want to get in on the gear, on the merch, all you got to do is go to aotashow.com slash support. Yep. So aotashow.com slash support. There's a button there to click uh, to get merch for the show. Um, and I, I will say, like, you know, price is reasonable, man. Like, you know, 20, 20 We're trying, man. Bucks. We're trying. Yeah. Get yourself a, a T-shirt. You know, some of these places you go to get a, a branded shirt and it's like a, a $50 T-shirt, you know. So we, uh, we're we for the people here at uh, All the Above. Um, so get get your merch, aotashow.com slash support um, and get yourself some some fly All the Above show gear. And I'm sorry for interrupting Dr. Rustin. Nah, Please. It's all good. Um, send, send us on our way. Yeah, for sure. All right, y'all. Remember, rate us, review us. Five stars are... Very much appreciated. We love y'all. Time to get to class.